So I want to invite you to stand for the reading of the word today. <clears throat> this is not the most traditional Advent or Christmas reading you've ever heard in your life, but it is one of the most beautiful pictures of the hospitality of God. So this is from Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. And he actually told them three parables, and I'm going to skip to the third one. So moving ahead to verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Right, you can have a seat. <clears throat> so this is um, probably a fairly familiar passage to most of us. Whether or not you're familiar with the Bible, whether or not you're new to the spiritual journey, this is probably one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told, right up there with the Good Samaritan, right? So this story is well known. 
If you are someone who knows this story like inside and out, right, like this is so familiar to you, I actually want to invite you to consider that as a way that the Lord wants to minister to you today in the midst of the familiar. So sometimes at Christmas, we're sort of longing for the comfort and the familiarity of home, things that are sort of traditional. And so in a way, there's a gift to you in allowing the Lord to speak to you from something that is familiar and comfortable and known, perhaps in a fresh way. So I just want to commend that to you. You can follow along. Um, I'm just going to kind of take us through a gentle stroll through this passage today. So if you have a Bible or a phone, we're in Luke 15, and we're just going to kind of walk through. So I included uh, verses 1 to 3 um, at the beginning of this chapter because the context here is really important. It's really important to understand this parable. Jesus tells this story in response to a really specific critique that he is receiving from the religious leaders. They're basically critiquing his hospitality. Specifically, they're saying he's extending hospitality to the wrong types of people. Verse 2, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This really bothered them. And so Jesus is like, wait, 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 I can explain you know what? You're right. That's exactly what I'm doing. Have you ever been critiqued or criticized for something that you don't see as a problem? Yeah. Sometimes that's like an indication that you're missing something. But in this case, Jesus is like, yeah, guilty as charged. That's what I'm doing. Let me, let me put this in terms maybe you can understand. I'm going to tell you a story. And so he begins with these stories. So this story uh, starts off with the younger of two sons asking his father for his share of the family estate, his inheritance that should be coming to him when his father dies. So again, if you're familiar with this story, you probably know this is really offensive. This is not, this is like saying, dad, I wish you would hurry up and die. I want your stuff. Okay, so this is not the way you treat your dad. Um, So He asked for this. But the other really unusual thing is no father would ever typically grant this request, but the father obliges and says, sure, here, here you go. And so the son takes off with, you know, with his share of the family estate, leaves home, and then gets himself into a really messed up situation. He runs out of money. The uh, text doesn't say he just makes poor decisions. He squanders the family estate. And so then he gets himself into a predicament. He has no food. He's starving. He's hitting rock bottom. And verse 17 says this, when he, when he came to his senses, he realized, how many of my father's servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He, he decides to go home when he's kind of at this rock bottom moment. But he has a particular idea about how this is going to go. He's done the unthinkable as a son. And now he's coming home empty handed, totally disgraced bringing even more shame on his family than he did when he left. 
So he's pretty sure he knows how this is going to go. He's not expecting a happy ending, necessarily. He's sure he knows how this is going to go. When I was 14, I was spending the night at my best friend's house, and on a whim, we decided to dye our hair this, like, bright purple magenta color. It was magical. And it was a school night, so I went straight to school the next day instead of, you know, I went straight to school instead of going home. And all day, I kept getting the same response over and over and over and over. It started out with, oh my gosh, your hair, and then followed by, oh my gosh, what is your dad going to say? Because people knew that my dad was a pastor, and they had these sort of assumptions of how my dad would respond to my choices. Now, I, I, the context here is this is a very conservative, buttoned-up Connecticut prep school, okay? But um, to be fair, I also feel like uh, the purple hair thing used to be a little bit more edgy. I feel like now it's a little more mainstream. But anyway, they just were so concerned about how is... Reverend Cowan going to react to his daughter's super edgy purple hair. And so all day, there's this refrain of like, what is your dad going to say? And the reality is I hadn't even considered that. It never crossed my mind. I didn't ask permission. I had no idea what my dad would think. But it, as people kept asking me, I got nervous. Like, oh, I don't know what my dad is going to say. And it was like this pit in my stomach that just kept growing all day. So all day I'm planning what it's going to be like when I just show up with purple hair. And so I make it through the day. I go to field hockey practice. I am coming home, walking up the front pathway, and sort of praying and hoping like I can just sneak in and disappear to my room. And, of course, my dad is like right at the front door. There's no escaping this. So I'm walking up. I come up the stoop, it's dark outside, so the porch light is on. So the porch light is basically like illuminating my head. And Dad opens the door and he takes a nice long look. And then he just bursts out laughing. And he's just laughing and he's like, do a twirl for me. And so I do a twirl and he's just utterly delighted. He just thought it was hilarious and whatever. So I realized in this moment, all day, I had been allowing all these other people's opinions of how my dad would respond to crowd out what I actually knew to be true about my dad, which is my dad has the most <laughs> hospitable, generous, come-as-you-are attitude and posture that he extends to everybody in his life. Of course he would extend that to me. But after listening to this refrain all day, what's your dad going to say? What's your dad going to say? I got nervous, and I wasn't so sure how I was going to be received. On a much deeper and more serious level, can you imagine how this younger son feels as he's making the journey home, preparing to face his father? He fully anticipates rejection, and he deserves rejection, to be honest. He has cut ties with his family. He's forfeited his birthright as a son, and he's now returning in complete disgrace. 
He expects rejection. He's not asking to be welcomed home again. He's asking for a job. He expects rejection. He's not confident that his dad will even give him a job. Henry Nouwen wrote an incredibly, like an exquisite book on the prodigal son based on his reflections of Rembrandt's painting of this passage. And Henry Nouwen says this about this moment. Although claiming my true identity as a child of God, I still live as though the God to whom I am returning demands an explanation. I still think about his love as conditional and about home as a place I am not yet fully sure of. While walking home, I keep entertaining doubts about whether I will be truly welcome when I get there. As I look at my spiritual journey, my long and fatiguing trip home, I see how full it is of guilt about the past and worries about the future. I realize my failures, and I know that I have lost the dignity of my sonship. But I am not yet able to fully believe that where my failings are great, grace is always greater. Still clinging to my sense of worthlessness, I project for myself a place far below that which belongs to a son. Do you resonate with that sentiment at all? I know that I do. I definitely know that I do, right? Standing with my purple hair exposed before my dad is one thing. Standing with my sin exposed before God is another. And there's a way that um, for me, and I'm guessing this may be true for some of you too, there's a way that we can cognitively understand grace and say, oh yeah, there's grace for me. And, and, and really sometimes we uh, more easily can extend that to other people. I'm like, sure, there's grace for you. And I know that grace God's love, I know this all in my head, but I struggle sometimes to emotionally apply it and accept it for myself. And so um, the question that I want to ask is, yeah, do you feel that way? What is it in your life? Is there something in your life that you are afraid to let your father lay eyes on? The way that I was like really nervous about letting my dad lay eyes on my purple hair. What's that thing in your life? And then just the, the other question is, as you're imagining, just imagine yourself coming before the Father. How do you expect to be received when you come into the Lord's presence? Just be honest. When you look at the expression on his face, what do you see? Do you expect rejection? Do you expect to be scolded? The, the word that kept sort of coming to my mind as I was preparing this is, do you think that when you come into the Father's presence that the primary thing he feels is disappointment? How do you expect to be received when you come into the Father's presence? And I want to gently just encourage you if those are the things that you expect to be on the doorstep, reprimanded, scolded, embarrassed, shamed, 
that the, that the father stands there with his arms crossed and he's disappointed. If those are the things you expect when you come into God's presence, I want to gently encourage you to examine those and ask yourself, where did those ideas come from? Is it possible that just like 14-year-old me, listening to everybody else's opinions about how my dad would receive me, that some of those things are actually other voices in your life, the voice of shame, the voice of guilt, the voice of other people's opinions that have clouded your view of who the Father actually is and how he actually feels about you. Because let me tell you, this is how the Father responds to a son who's done the unthinkable. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. No dignified man would be caught dead, running like a child. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And then the son gives his prepared speech that he's been rehearsing the whole way home. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't even finish it. Because the father interrupts him and says, quick, well, he tells the servants, quick, bring the robe and put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. We're going to party, we're going to celebrate because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He's lost and is found. This is what the father is like. He delights in his son. He wants his son there is an embrace at the doorstep, not a reprimand, not a shaming moment, no standing there waiting for the right words. There's just an embrace. And so if that seems impossible to you, I just want to ask you to consider why you think you would be received any differently than this. Some of you need to know that the Father doesn't just tolerate you. So, so we all have people in our life, right, that we love because we have to love them, but we don't really like them, right? Some of you think that's how God feels about you, that he loves you because he has to, but he doesn't really like you. He just kind of puts up with you and tolerates you. That's a lie, the Father loves you. He's crazy about you. You are valuable to him. No matter what the thing is that you're thinking, but what about, nope, end of discussion, full stop. He loves you. He's crazy about you. He wants you. You are adored. There's absolutely nothing you could say back to me that would change my mind about that. He's crazy about you. So some of you need to hear today that you can take a step of faith and come home and you will not be shamed, rejected, or scolded on the doorstep. You're going to be embraced. Some of you need to know that you can come home today safely, that there's an embrace waiting for you because you are loved and adored. You are a son, you are a daughter, and nothing Nothing has changed that. Nothing can change that. Nothing will change that. So 
you can stop striving. You can stop protecting yourself. You can stop pretending. You can stop hiding. You can stop trying to figure it out. You can stop cleaning yourself up. You can just come home. Just come home as you are. There's an embrace waiting for you on the doorstep. Henry Nowen again. For most of my life, I have struggled to find God, to know God, and to love God. Now I wonder whether I have sufficiently realized during all this time God has been trying to find me, to know me and to love me. The question is not, how am I to find God, but how am I to let myself be found by him? The question is not, how am I to know God, but how am I to let myself be known by God? And finally, the question is not, how am I to love God, but how am I to let myself be loved by God? God is looking into the distance for me, trying to find me and longing to bring me home. Friends, God is looking into the distance for you, trying to find you and longing to bring you home. So just come home. You won't be rejected. You will be embraced. But the story doesn't end here with the party because there's a second son who's just as lost, just as prodigal. He's been staying home this whole time, working for his father like a dutiful son, and yet he's just as distant from the father's heart. The father throws this incredible party for his son who's returned home, but in verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, come to the party, son. And the older brother answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a goat. You never gave me a goat. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad for this son. Sorry, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So let's just remember for a second why Jesus is telling this story in the first place. He's telling this story in response to a critique about the company he's keeping and who he's welcoming in and eating, right? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the question that I want to ask is, who is Jesus in this parable? Who is Jesus in the story? It's pretty obvious that the Sinners, the tax collectors and prostitutes, those are the younger brother. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those are the older brothers. So that you might think, well, then Jesus is the father who's welcoming the sinner home. Maybe, but not quite. Because God the Father is the father. Jesus is not actually quite in this story because Jesus is the redeemed older brother. Jesus is the son who is so close to the father's heart, so sure of the father's love, so in tune with the father's purposes that when his younger brother comes home, he is sprinting down the road even faster than his father. Jesus is the older brother who's welcoming all of his younger, wayward brothers and sisters home the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners, you and me, welcoming us home. And he's feasting with us, sharing a table with us. 
He's throwing dad's robe around our shoulders. He's so excited to get those sandals on our feet that he's down in his knees on the mud. This is the gift that we receive at Christmas. The gift of God's son who took on flesh and who stooped and drew near to us at great cost to himself so that we, all his prodigal siblings, could be reconciled to the Father. This is the gift we receive at Christmas. Jesus wants each of us and the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners that he was hanging out with to experience the Father's embrace. That's all he wants. And so he does anything to make that happen. Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. This is Paul speaking to the church in Philippi. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, a little baby. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, which he didn't have to do, even death on a cross. This is what the true older brother looks like. In the parable, you hear the entitlement in the older brother's words, right? All these years I've been slaving for you and you never gave me a goat. The older brother claims his, like, status. He feels entitled. Jesus, who wasn't just God's son, he was in very nature God. Sermon on the Trinity for another Sunday. Jesus never claimed that what was entitled to him. I'm sure he was tempted, right? He was, he was entitled to a very different existence. But he took on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He made himself nothing. He became obedient to death. Why? Why would Jesus do this? He did this to reconcile his siblings to the Father. He did this to make a way. Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus endured the cross for the joy before him, the joy of reconciling the family. The reason that every single one of us in this room, every single one of Jesus' younger, wayward siblings, prodigals, the reason any of us can come home and know that there's an embrace waiting on the doorstep for us is because Jesus made a way. Jesus laid down his life so that we could come home in freedom and in joy and in rest. Jesus did that. That is the gift of Jesus. So right here, 
I could continue this sermon for another 20 minutes, and I'm not going to, but right here we could say, and then knowing, having experienced that embrace, we get to model ourselves as siblings against Jesus, the redeemed older brother, and we get to become redeemed older siblings for other younger siblings that we can then extend that same hospitality and embrace. We can run down the road to gather others into the family fold, into the Father's embrace. That would be a very powerful uh, application of this passage. And maybe God wants to do something in your heart right now. Maybe there's somebody on your mind and you go for that. Where I want to land us is just this idea of receiving the Father's embrace. I want us all to put ourselves in the story and be the younger sibling today. And so two, two thoughts I want to leave you with today. The first is just um, to ask yourself, is there anything preventing you from receiving the Father's embrace? And maybe that's the sense of um, you, you've never come home before. What's stopping you? Or maybe you have not come home in a long, long time. What's kept you away? Or maybe just the question is, what prevents you from standing still in God's presence? Just fully exposed before him as yourself. What makes you shy away? Put your finger on that thing. What is it? What keeps you at a distance? Talk to the Lord about that. And then secondly, I want to come back to that question of how do you expect to be received when you walk into the Father's presence? What is the expression on his face? If it's anything other than delight, I want to encourage you to examine that today. Come receive prayer. If it's anything other than delight, is there something um, that you are afraid of? Is there some sense of fear of what it will mean on the other side of that embrace? Some way that the Lord would want to poke around in your life and you're afraid of that? Is there something that, yeah, you'd prefer to keep hidden? Um, so those are the two things. What, what's keeping you from just standing still on the Father's embrace? And how do you expect to be received? And if it's anything other than delight and embrace, the Lord wants to heal that broken picture of who he is and that broken picture of who you are. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are loved. I'm going to pray for us, and then um, Pastor Andrew's going to lead us in a response. Heavenly Father, you are, um, you are here. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. And Lord, we thank you that um, at Christmas we remember the great lengths that you went to run down the road to us. That you took on flesh and came among us so that all your children could be reconciled to you. And so, Lord, would you um, open up our hearts right now, open up um, space so that you can bring healing, Lord, to any place where there's been a, a wound that has kept us from receiving or standing in that embrace. Holy Spirit, would you do your work? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.